0: Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Um, We're at the, I think this this is the eighth (laughs) class in our. Uh, 30-some-odd-class structured study of jhana meditation, uh, the meditation method that the Buddha taught and that we employ as Dharma practitioners. Um, This sutta, uh, the Kimsaka Sutta, uh, uh, it's it's both metaphorical and a practical uh, description of what occurs in our minds. Um, and so when we understand when we understand the, the structure of our minds and that we've created that structure, structure meaning um, mental fabrications, things that we've decided are real and solid about our lives, and we come to the Dom, we find out that they're all fabrications. And this is how it, it gives a metaphorical description of what occurs through someone who is well-concentrated and practicing this correctly. So, And this follows from last week's sutta, the jhana sutta, where we learned how important it is to recognize the four levels or ever-deepening ever, ever deepening levels of jhana meditation or mental absorption. It's important to recognize that. And this describes the vehicle that that's taking place in. Two monks of the Buddha Sangha were talking. One asked the other, to what extent is one's vision said to be well-purified? In other words, to what extent is right view established? The other monk says, when one knows as it actually is, the origination and the passing away of the sixth sense base, the sixth sense base are our five physical senses, and the, and the, the sixth sense, or our consciousness, that, that which interprets and informs the five physical senses. So the origination and the passing away of the Sixth Sense Base we learned in the Paticca Samapata Sutta to recognize that this Sixth Sense Base, this thing that we use as human beings to come in contact with the world around us and to interpret and then describe the world around us is this Sixth Sense Base. But the Sixth Sense Base is interpreting what? Impermanence everything that I come in contact with through my sixth sense space is impermanent, and so the sixth sense space is itself impermanent, isn't it? Is that clear to everyone?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In other words, my... the the I factor of the sixth sense space doesn't come in, into establishment until it becomes useful, until I'm seeing something. And in this moment, if what I'm seeing, I'm not personalizing it then I'm using my senses as they're meant to be and the same applies to the other senses ultimately resolving in a right view that is now this consciousness that is um, interpreting and informing what's coming in contact with the sixth sense base did I just confuse the hell out of something that's very simple we're just talking about somebody who
2: Laura? I think
0: Julia said
3: something. Oh, Julia? I'm following. Um, Basically, like, if we're looking, correct me if I'm wrong, if we're looking at it through consciousness, it just is. It's not good or bad. And we can just sit there and just be with it and absorb it with our senses.
0: Yes, through consciousness that is rooted in concentration and so right view. You know, it it has established that. So So
3: not making a personalized story of it is the right view.
0: Yes. So now I'm using my sixth sense base as it's intended without any me in it. And so that each and every moment is pure. It's fresh. It's vital because that's a reflection of my mind, not because of what's it's not dependent on what's out there anymore. The quality of my mind is solely dependent on what I'm holding in mind. And what I'm holding in mind is rooted in this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. And I'm able to maintain that impersonal, dispassionate view because my mind is well-concentrated. And how do I know my mind is well-concentrated? Because that crazy, bold guy just taught me last week how to recognize it. The four levels of deepening concentration. So, do you see, Julia? Yeah, and it's, it's just in that direct way. I increase my concentration... And so, then I can keep my sixth sense base pure. I can see what's coming through in a mind that's rooted in reality rather than distracted. So let me continue. It is to this extent that one's vision is said to be well purified. When one knows as it actually is, the origination and the passing away of the sixth sense base, then this this one is known, this person's vision is said to be known as well purified. Dissatisfied with this answer, he asks another monk the same question. The answer is, when one knows as it actually is, the origination and the passing away of the five clinging aggregates. So what is it? The origination and the passing away of the six sense base or the five clinging aggregates. That monk says it is to this extent, understanding the origination and the passing away of the five clinging aggregates, that vision is said to be well purified. Still dissatisfied, he asks another monk the same question. When one knows, as it actually is, the origination and the passing away of the four great elements, earth, fire, wind, and water. So why is this different than the sixth sense space, which are rooted in that? Well, now we're talking about understanding the ar- arising and the passing away of all phenomena, earth, wind, fire, and water, characterizes everything that we can come in contact with in the phenomenal world. Still dissatisfied, he asks another monk the same question. And the answer is when one knows as it actually is that all conditioned things are subject to cessation. That's what Kandana realized when he first heard the Dhammachaka Pavatana Sutta for the first time. And the Buddha declared, Kandana, you are now Anakandana, meaning you are now the one who understands. He understood the conditioned nature of his mind. I'm talking about Kandana now. And upon that understanding, that profound understanding, the origination where conditioned mind comes is established, where it gains its footing, and the passing away through dhamma practice, now I understand all things that are important to me, don't I? All conditioned things that arise are subject to cessation. When one understands conditioned thinking as it actually is, and that all conditioned things are subject to cessation, it is to this extent that one's vision is said to be well purified. So what is it? What, what do I have to practice here? What do I have to develop? Still dissatisfied, he seeks the Buddha. And he tells him of the answers to his questions. The Buddha replies, friends, It is as if a man had never seen a certain tree that changes appearance often. A difficult to describe tree. A riddle tree. He would ask someone to describe this riddle tree. They would say that this tree is black. It's black as a burnt, as a burnt stump. This is how the tree looked to him at the time. So this riddle tree, or or a kimsuka tree, changes rapidly. And throughout the seasons, at one point in the season, that bark is very dark, but it sheds that bark quickly. So depending on when you're looking at the tree would determine how you would describe the tree, wouldn't it? The riddle tree is is a dark tree. It's, It's a tree with black bark. They're satisfied with the answer. They ask another to describe this riddle tree. They tell him that the tree has no bark, and its pods explode. So at certain points in the season, the Kinshaka tree has no bark, it sheds its bark, and, it's, and the pods on the tree explode as, you know, as it comes in contact with the light, it expands and it explodes. So that is that, that person's in interpretation of a riddle tree. They tell him that the tree has no bark and its pods explode. This is how the tree looked at the time. Dissatisfied with the answer, they ask another to describe the riddle tree. They tell him that this tree has thick foliage with with dense shade. This is how the tree looked at the time. In the same way, what these people of integrity were focused on when their vision became well purified is the way that they answered. So the Buddha is saying that Whatever theme you develop of the Buddhist Dhamma, whatever understanding, the five clinging aggregates, for instance, or understanding the sixth sense space is impermanent, or understanding that consciousness itself is impermanent, or understanding that all of my conditioned thoughts are impermanent, they arise and pass away. Whatever aspect of the Dhamma that I understand completely, another way of saying that is, whatever aspect or step and the 12 steps of, origina- of dependent origination that I understand completely unravels this whole mass of suffering. I now understand the nature of my suffering. So no matter what aspect of it is, I understand the whole. When I understand this aspect of the riddle tree, when I understand this aspect of my mind, I understand the entire the entire quality of my, of my mind, or what is forming this quality of my mind. Excuse me.
4: So, John, don't you have to... Isn't the only step that has to change is the ignorance to wisdom?
0: Yes, and that, what David is pointing to, or talking about, points to what I'm about to mention, the central square, where consciousness has its lodgment. Suppose, friend, there were a royal frontier fortress with strong walls and ramparts. I'm oh, sorry. Some, could you
1: could you could you repeat what David said? Because no, I I'll let David repeated. It. it sounded like it was important.
0: If it came out of David's mouth, it's important. Fifty uh, mm-hmm. percent. I've always
4: thought that the the only step in. An origination that truly had a change was from ignorance to wisdom through the Eightfold Path. Yeah. But you can't just jump into I'm gonna conquer craving. And that therefore will all unravel. And I've often been confused by that description that
5: mm-hmm. truly it's only through wisdom. It's yeah. true, but, but to actually dive into one aspect of dependent origination um, breaks things up. But you have Does to. It, you have to have wisdom. Yes, uh, but this isn't. You can explore, but
4: you, without wisdom, won't you? Just what what you're hearing is
0: an exchange between two dharma teachers, and it's important. Listen to yeah. it. Because
4: I've often been confused about. I, it, I can say I'm going to understand the sixth sense base, but without. Mm-hmm teaching in the entire Eightfold path I'd be lost yeah. right
5: everybody's yeah. hearing
1: this <clears throat> yeah. sort of hard true. to hear
5: but kind yeah. of yeah. Um, yeah speak up getting a, uh, an understanding of one aspect of dependent origination or for that matter other uh, central themes in, in the Dharma. Gets you starts the process of of wisdom, mm-hmm. um, and 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 you can start it anywhere. That's kind of what. What's well, you can you start it wherever you are. You can start wherever you, because again, uh, you know, it, that's where you are. This is this is the thing that's 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 bugging you. So you know, take that. Um, Take that irritation and that that friction and and use it to expand your, your wisdom. That's those are the entry points. The wisdom is is what developed by going into those entry
0: points. You're both right. But what you're but what you're talking about is I, for one thing, there does need to be clarity. Dependent origination is not something that we should look at. To, um, to deconstruct as part of our Dharma practice. But the understanding of the steps may occur individually. And so as we're looking at and listening to and coming to class and meditating, and uh, again, it, for most of us, it takes more than a few classes. There's a process of integrating the Eightfold Path that by wisdom begins from, let me start this all the way from the beginning. When we come to the dhamma fresh we have no understanding of what this is about but that's the beginning of wisdom walking into the in the door is the beginning of the establishment of wisdom so it's beginning of the beginning of dhamma practice at the beginning of developing wisdom as wisdom develops it starts informing our minds about different aspects so we as a consequence of dhamma practice wisdom or Accumulated knowledge in a certain area, meaning Dhamma, begins to build. And so we start developing a broad and generalized understanding of very specific aspects, including aspects of the kind origination. And what David is saying is that in order to understand any of those 12 links, you have to have wisdom, which informs that. So in one sense, you could say you don't really understand anything until you develop profound wisdom, but it is um, uh, graduated wisdom that keeps us going, which is another way of saying look at the, the deepening levels of, absor- of uh, mental absorption, meditative absorption, but also look at your deepening practical wisdom.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: But I think that's really what you're saying, David, is recognize.
4: you're just... That wisdom is always falling back into... The Eightfold Path. Yes. And, and not Well not the wisdom is to, the Eightfold Path. Exactly, but
0: not
4: trying to spin it off to something outside of
0: that. Yes. Did everybody hear that? Hmm. We're applying it to, we're applying it the way it is. Understanding how a locomotive works by using the Eightfold Path isn't gonna work. You're not gonna get any understanding that way. Right? But applying it we talk about or I talk about how the Eightfold Path is a limiting path. It limits us from going outside hmm. of its parameters. Meaning, understanding the quality of my mind through concentration and the framework of the eightfold path is wisdom. It's the establishment of wisdom, and as that wisdom deepens, our understanding or integration of the eightfold path deepens and becomes more effective. Right.
5: Thank you. Dependent origination is is in there. It's part. It's not outside of the of
0: the uh, of the eightfold path. Yeah, every yeah, that's that's important to, to teach that every every sutta is part of the dharma, and the the specifics or you, I could almost use the word specifications, you know. As in in, in other words, if you're building an engine, you got to get a spec for the for how 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 the uh, I can't think of the chamber, <laughs> whatever it is, the combustion chamber. You have to know all these little calculations to build an. So we need to know not in as much detail but as important the eightfold path. We need to know all eight factors. And understanding just that alone is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, it's not just meditation and it's not just it's not just right speech and it's not just right action. It's not enough to to decide that I'm going to go into the world with with compassion. That's it. Well, we can't do that. Most human beings can't do that 100% of the time because of ignorance. And if we really want to be truly compassionate people, we'll develop wisdom, as David is saying, to go along with the compassion, which is kind of what what Ram is saying in a certain way. And so in this way, we marry these two ideas. Thank you. What a great discussion. Uh, Actually,
5: but it it all talks to this what comes later and the, the relationship between um uh, concentration and 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 wisdom
0: and that's yeah and that's what again this this is what this sutta metaphorically teaches just what we're talking about so so i'm gonna go just go back that one sentence suppose friend friend there were a royal frontier fortress with strong walls and ramparts and six gates six gates is important six sense base in it would be a wise, experienced, and intelligent gatekeeper to keep out those he to keep out those he didn't. The gatekeeper is mindfulness. A swift pair of messengers coming from the east would say to the gatekeeper, Where my good man is the commander of this fortress? What's 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 directing this whole experience? He would say, There he is, sir. Sitting in the central, sirs, the two swift pair of messengers, sitting in the central square, a mind united in its body. The swift pair of messengers, delivering their accurate report, important, accurate, they're delivering reality into the central square. The swift pair of messengers, delivering their accurate report to the commander of the fortress, would then go back by the route by which they had come. They're pure. They're staying in one, they're staying in their lane. Then a swift pair of messengers coming from the west and from the north and the south would say to the gatekeeper, meaning they do this in in succession, Where my good man is the commander of this fortress? They would say, There he is, sir. He sits in the central square. The swift pair of messengers, having delivered their accurate report to the commander of the fortress, would then go back by the route by which they had come. All this information coming in from the world is coming in now through a mind that is well-guarded. It has a gatekeeper established. And and so only information that is reflective of reality is breaching the central square. That mind is well-concentrated. It's well-guarded by jhana. It's able to, to... It's able to clearly and directly and intimately pick and choose which thought, in a a very gentle and supple way, which thought is based in reality and which isn't. That's what concentration is for. And once it's established, we no longer have to do it. Because then that concentration becomes much larger and is something we now call refined mindfulness. That concentration is holding in it's now established as a gatekeeper because the Eightfold Path is now the framework and guidance for this individual human being's life. Is that clear?
2: Uh, so, John, so the seclusion of minds that we're developing and through concentration, that's this is the metaphor they're talking about with the fortress and the gatekeeper.
0: Mm. Yes. But
2: what... A, Um, When they're talking about the information that we are processing and the messengers, the swift pair of messengers, what do they mean by "and they go back the
0: route they came? What exactly does that mean? Oh, that's such a good point. Going back the way they came is leaving the phenomena alone. Meaning, I don't... It it went back the way it came because I didn't divert it with my own attachment
5: or my own view.
0: It it. It simply came... It simply... Coming in contact, thank you for the question. It simply means I'm coming in (laughs) contact with the world and I'm leaving it alone, I'm letting Mm -hmm. it go, it goes back the way it came, it's unaffected by me. Mm -hmm. What that's a definition of purity, isn't it? Yeah, it's also a definition of being gentle in the world. It's also for those of us that are concerned about. Uh, it, 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 what's the right word? I'm just trying to think of the of the broader word. for Those of us that wouldn't think of throwing a piece of paper out the window of our car are the type of people we're developing here. And I'm not talking about we don't pollute in a direct way. Of course we don't because we're much more mindful. But we're not doing that to ourselves anymore and because we're not because we're not polluting our own minds with fabrication we simply live gently on the planet because we're gentle within ourselves do you see mm-hmm. so again i'm not saying i'm not pointing out salvation because we're not teaching salvation but we are teaching a path to individual salvation aren't you aren't we we're teaching a way to live in the world that we all want others to live That we all, in fact, sometimes we insist other people live the way that they can't live. Because we can't do it ourselves when we wish we could. But now we can. And in that way, and, and because the only way that we can become gentle people is to be gentle with ourselves, we are then naturally gentle to each other and the planet. So this isn't a salvific religion. But it is the way that we could actually save the planet. Are we going to do it? The Buddha would say no. And also, at, for the purpose of Dhamma practice, none of those outside ideas and ideology are unimportant to the Eightfold Path. That doesn't mean that they're unimportant outside of that. But the things that we're most concerned about, that we take up causes about in the world, are resolved within the Dhamma and within our own mind. And in that way, we are in a a much more... We're in a, a much more centralized place. We're now the central square in our own world to affect what's coming in and out in a pure way rather than a fabricated way. So again, you've heard me say this often, that the most loving thing I can do for myself and all other sentient beings, if I really do care about other people, and if I really do care about the planet I live on, and the people I interact with, and I'm I'm not talking about just in the song, I'm talking about when I go buy a cup of coffee, and so I can leave that person with a smile on my face and a calm presence, right? What more could I bring to someone else I need to practice the Dhamma. So the most loving thing I can do for myself and all other sentient beings is to take to the Dhamma and awaken. Thanks for that great question. Great question. He would say, There he is, sir, sitting in the central square. I'm sorry, Mr. Just to ask that question again. Where, my good man, is the commander of the fortress? He would say, There he is, sirs, sitting in the central square. The swift pair of messengers, delivering their accurate report to the commander of the fortress, would then go back by the route which they had come. I have given you the simile, friend, to convey a message. The message is this. The fortress stands for this body. right? Composed of the four elements, born of mother and father. Why is the Buddha saying something so obvious? Because it's important to understand. This is the most obvious thing. This is a human life. This is how we live our lives, given by mother and father. We don't have to conjecture, we don't have to speculate about where we came from. We came from mother and father. Well, where did mother and father come? Don't go there. Why? Because there's nothing beyond that. There's nothing beyond this, this body, this world. This is where I need to keep my focus, as David just said. It's not out there, it's in here. It is just this The fortress stands for this body Composed of the four elements Born of mother and father Nourished with rice and barley rule I need to take nourishment There's nothing magic about this body I need to keep it fed Subject to constant rubbing and abrasion To breaking and falling apart It's a cruel world we live in It's a difficult world The Buddha is teaching us here From 2600 years ago it's not utopia. Don't look for it. In fact, if it's anything, recognize and, and don't take personal the dystopic aspects of life. Why? Because they can be such a huge distraction. And even though they, the, the dystopic aspects of life comprise only 1% of it, we be some, become so distracted and consumed by it. Great aversion and diluted thinking. The sixth gate stands for the six internal sense media, the six sense base. Coming through the, the eye form, the ear form, the nose form, etc., etc. The gatekeeper stands for mindfulness. If I have a well-established gatekeeper developed through the eightfold path, then I finally realize, yes, it's up to me what, come, what I come in contact with. It's not up to the world. And the world is not to blame for what I come in contact with. When you piss me off because your ideology is wrong and is different from my ideology, that's ignorance. No matter how right that ideology might be. Why is it ignorant? Because my view of it is fabricated in this moment. When my view is now unfabricated, when it's pure, then to that mind, it doesn't matter what you're doing. What matters what I'm doing. Because I finally understand that the only control I ever have is control over my own mind and control over my actions. And once I understand that at a profound level, I'll stop insisting and screaming at you that you should be different. Or, in an arrogant way, trying to prove to you that the way you're living is wrong. That's hurtful. That's hurtful. And it's hurtful to everybody. It's hurtful to you, it's hurtful to the other plant, other person, and it's hurtful to the entire planet because of the agitation that that's bringing to the world. Agitation never brings anything good. It only agitates the mind. If we think that agitating another person's mind is somehow good, think about how it feels when your mind is agitated and ask yourself, do you really want to do that to someone else? Out of your own compassion? Develop the Dhamma and you never will do that again. You'll never do it again. And you will liberate yourself from the need to do it again. And now you'll have a calm and peaceful mind. The swift pair of messengers stands for tranquility, understanding, and insight. We know what's occurring in the world because we know what's occurring in our own minds. The commander of the fortress stands for consciousness. So if my consciousness is well controlled, I'm in control of the world. And if my consciousness is, is rooted in fabrication and constantly distracted, I'm in control of nothing. And my life is going to seem chaotic. My life is going to seem like I'm constantly grasping after. My mind is going to feel like a monkey mind. It, can, it never quiets down. Why is my mind never, never able to quiet down? Because it's constantly grasping after because it doesn't understand what it is it doesn't understand its own nature it doesn't understand it's a human being and as a human being it doesn't understand its it, do, it doesn't understand its gentle pure sovereignty sovereignty this is me here but not out there so, what am I in here? As the Buddhist just teaches us, I'm comprised of a lot of physical things that are manifested by one thing, consciousness. But it's my consciousness. It's not the universe's consciousness. It's not global consciousness. There's no such thing. There is only my consciousness and approximately seven billion others. How the hell can seven billion consciousness live in harmony? They can't. They can't possibly. They're not, and it's, the world isn't designed for that. What it is designed for is, a, is an opportunity for seven billion people to awaken and have or develop full human maturity. What else would we be doing here? As far as I'm concerned, as a Dhamma teacher and a Dhamma practitioner, it's to have a human life. I cannot think of any other purpose for me other than to live this life. But now that I understand my purpose and accept it, each and every moment is meaningful. Why? Because I'm living it. Because I no longer have to live a fabrication. I understand the purpose of human life. It's not about getting things or getting somewhere. It's about getting here. It's about understanding what it means what it means to be lodged in the central square. The central square stands for the four great elements. This is what I am. This is what I'm comprised of. The earth property, the liquid property, the fire property, and the wind property. The accurate reports stands for unbinding or understanding. The route by which they have come stands for the noble eightfold path, as Laura question. The Noble Eightfold Path is how the world is coming to me, meaning it's coming to me pure and unadulterated. There's no me attached to it anymore. I'm seeing things clearly. My mind is resting in right view, and so it's calm. The route by which they have come stands for the Noble Eightfold Path. Right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, <clears throat> right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation. That's the end of the sutta. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Becky, what do you think? You're muted, Becky. I might. Ah, there you are.
1: I okay. I might be a little overwhelmed. (laughs) Um, Believe even even after all these years, Um, I really do like though. I I love the the concrete similes and metaphors that run throughout this Suda because they really help to make things more understandable I do have one question that I'm almost afraid to ask Uh Oh! in the beginning why are they always dissatisfied with the answer they got because they wanted a, a more I don't know. A bigger answer? A more complicated oh, answer. Yeah. I am sorry
0: I didn't I didn't touch on this when I read it. Um, because they didn't have a complete understanding of the Dhamma, they couldn't understand how how understanding at a profound level the sixth sense base would lead to what they what they expected Okay. A path to lead to it. In other words, they didn't see the value of understanding it because they didn't understand the, the context in which that was presented. Okay. Yeah. And so that,
1: that, they were looking, they were not quite to the point where they could really see the big picture from a small piece of it.
0: Yeah, and it, it's just like our classes are, it's just like if you came yeah. to a class on, on uh, Paticca Samapada Sutta, dependent origination, it would have. In fact, think about that. If you had no understanding of this, of what we're doing, you came somewhere and somebody just read dependent origination to you and you walked out, you wouldn't know anything. I mean, it'd be almost useless information to you. Right. So, right. But if you continued to develop the Dhamma, Meaning, deepening your concentration, deepening your central square, and developing refined mm-hmm. mindfulness. Your gatekeeper. Now you can start. And again, this is what David was leading to, too, too, too. Now you could actually practice the eightfold path. You could, you could um, quantify and qualify the messengers, the information that's coming to you now.
1: And what what happens when you're what? What happens when you're, you're practicing the Dhamma and something disturbs you, you feel this rising up. And this just happened to me like in the last couple of days. Sometimes you feel this rising up and sometimes I am just the way I was before. I learned the Dhamma. I just react. I don't do what, you know, and it always leads to feeling bad. To me, feeling bad. Forget what, what it does for the other person. To me, feeling bad. Yep. Now, when you start to recognize that and you can, you can recognize it and say, oh, this is what's happening to me yep. right now. I need to feel this feeling, whatever it is. I need to be angry because I'm angry. Yep. I just need to feel it. Yes. Let it come up.
0: Without judgment.
1: Be with it. Don't judge it. Feel it until it passes away. Yep. And after it passes away, then I can respond to the situation.
0: Yes, and do you see you, you can what
1: happens when when you do that? When you do that, no matter how many times, and you know, like I said, I don't do it every time. But when you do that and you allow that whole process to happen, then you come back to to what caused that, that is when wisdom raises its presence.
2: You can see it. You
1: you learn that. Wow, this is totally different than what I initially thought it was. And that that just comes through to you. And then you can deal with the situation with skillfulness. And that is what happened. That is just a you know, a big thing happened in the last like day and a half. It wasn't big, but to me it was a big thing because Good. all the steps went through and on and, and and once that happens and you really understand your contribute contribution to what could have been a really terrible situation. You could have made it so, it could have been a disaster. You understand your your contribution to it. You are just like, wow. <laughs> I just have to keep doing this because wow. You really see it clearly. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, I'll shut up now.
0: No, thank I, you. Th- thank you, Becky, again. <laughs> um, just about every time you share, Becky, you start out by saying something like you don't quite understand or this and that and then you give a perfect description of, of pure Dhamma <laughs> practice. <laughs> so so thank you.
1: <laughs> but that that that's why I really believe in the empacico thing. I, yes. I just could never I could never understand this unless it actually happens to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. You, you have know, to you yeah. just
1: have to get to a point where Yeah. Very- okay.
0: I can't, you can't intellectualize it. Yeah. Well, you can up, up you until you experience it. And if you don't, you won't. Yeah. Yeah. It, and again, how do, how do we experience it? It's just how you describe. It's, it's a combination. Yeah. Feeling anger rising up in me and not reacting to it. Taking a breath or two or a hundred. And in that moment, are yeah. contributing to my understanding, my wisdom, my peace, and anybody else around me. And again, yeah. that, it, it, not to be uh, Pollyannish or salvific, but that is how we can save the world, by just saving ourselves.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And I see again, that I'm, when the whole process happens.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Becky. Good morning, Thank Julia. You.
3: Awesome. I learned a lot. Thank you, John, so much. And Becky, that was great. You re- literally read my mind because <laughs> I was going to ask a question on that and you answered it. Um, so I recognize that when I'm feeling when I want to react to something or like I have that feeling of my body, like in my chest or stomach and it's rising, I'll, I'll try to change it and and try to convince myself why I shouldn't feel this way or why I shouldn't react. And I just make up all these stories and then I realize I'm just carrying all this stuff (laughs) Instead of just sitting with it as it arises. <coughs> and I think that's my problem with not having a right view because I'm attaching to all these stories to try to convince myself or make things make sense. And then I carry these resentments because I'm not looking at things in a pure way and as it is. Yep. And it-
0: <clears throat> and you just described attaching yourself to past feelings. You just described the process of conditioning your own mind. Yeah, and
3: it's like I can say it, but then it's a different story when something happens and I'm like, "Mm," and I forget the option of just sitting with it.
0: Oh, yeah. But again, recognizing that is Dhamma practice too. That, That 10 minutes ago I got pissed off and I forgot to not get pissed off. I forgot to take a breath. But in that moment that you remember that, you are, you're practicing Dhamma. And in that moment... What is dharma practice? It's a lack of personalization. It's a lack of judgment. And it's just, okay, next time it happens, I'll remember to do it. And 10 minutes later, you get pissed off again and you didn't remember to do it. What's dharma practice? Oh, I did it again. (laughs) But as you continue to sit, you know, this is where the structure of of meditation, two sits a day. If you keep doing that throughout your day, oh, I got angry 10 minutes ago and I wasn't able to do anything about it. You know that coming up, you're going to get a structural break that you'll have. And you'll continue to come to Dhamma classes, and you'll continue to hear Becky teach us, and the others, and just like you did. And eventually, but rather quickly, those periods of, just to classify it this way, those periods of losing your mind will become less impactful and have a shorter duration. And over time, you'll be more well-concentrated and more settled in the framework of the Eightfold Path. And in order to know that, you have to recognize it, you have to do what we're doing. But, and also go through the process that you're describing, Julia, of recognizing that you're different now, you've changed, you know, and how profound that change is. But also how ordinary the change is too. I, I And I, you're early enough that I can ask this question, um, you've you've noticed some very ordinary but very profound changes in your own way of thinking and behavior haven't you julia i have yeah and i and i everybody here would say that you know and it it it's just um, dhamma is meant to have an effect so it shouldn't be surprising that it does but it's important to recognize it you know and again i've never I've, I've been involved in the buddhist game for many years and nobody ever told me to take a look at my practice you know look at it is it bearing fruit is it doing what we're teaching you well all of you would would say yes you know and i would say if you keep coming i don't want to get into it it's a good thing that it works isn't it <laughs> did you have anything else julia um
3: yeah when i feel bothered or just something that i define as a negative emotion or i try to like grab things whether it's Thoughts, items to like, try to make me feel better, mm-hmm. and I
1: know that I'm doing it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's condition. Yeah, condition mind. Yeah, and the the. Can I just say it, one more thing. Sure, Becky.
1: One thing that it took me a long time to learn is that it's okay to be frigging angry. You are a human being. You are going to be angry, and that's what I used to do. I would start to get angry, and I'd think, "Oh, I'm not supposed to feel this way. I have to figure out a reason not to feel this way. I have to." And I would just and and I I was like letting the feeling come up, but I wasn't letting it pass away.
0: Yeah, because you judge the feeling.
1: you just have to do what you have to do to feel angry. You feel angry. That doesn't mean you. That doesn't mean you have to go out and shoot someone. It just means you have to sit and feel angry for a while and yeah. be okay. Yeah. And I have it,
3: this this thing like in drilled in me. It feels like that that if I'm angry or if I'm upset with something, that I don't want to upset the other person because if I'm angry, then it might affect how they feel. Yeah. So. It's like, I feel guilty for feeling angry because I don't want to upset this person and make them think they did something wrong. Or. Now, that's the whole story. You just yep. go in
1: the bedroom and be angry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and again, if, if what comes up is anger, what else can we do? But I mean, it's us. If I'm feeling angry and I'm blaming you for it, I'm really lost, aren't I? But if I'm feeling anger and I can, I can just let that anger be there, now I own it. Now I'm in control of my mind. And so you heard me talk about I think I talked about this on retreat as well, that uh, an an awakened human being will have the same, uh, will generate an appropriate feeling, but a feeling that might have been classified as anger is now just determination that something is occurring. And when you think about what anger is in this moment and take away the judgment and the eye-making, it really is, I'm just determined in this moment. Unfortunately, usually... An uncontrolled mind would be, I'm determined that you be different in this moment, and or the world be different. But a well-concentrated mind understands that and simply doesn't go there. So that mind remains calm. And again, it's not out of restriction. It's not out of um, a false sense of mor- morality. I won't get to heaven if I act angry. It's out of, out of a, a reasonable understanding that if I get angry in this moment, then I've lost my mind. And I'm probably going to hurt someone else as well, in some way. So it's just a practical understanding that it's, it's foolish to get angry and act out on it. But it's not foolish to have a strong feeling. That's, a, that, that's what it, we're, we're human beings. We're supposed to feel. So for me to tell you that it's a sin to get angry, and I was told that, well, what am I doing? I'm telling someone else to continue to lose your mind over your anger. Instead of saying, when you get angry, understand where it's coming from. It's coming from eye-making. And you can do something about that. You can understand it. And so get to the point where you don't have to act out of anger. Because what is anger? It's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's immediate and intense eye-making, isn't it? And so the more I diminish eye-making, the less I'm acting out on anger. But it doesn't take away my human life and the experiences that would give rise to a determined thought, and that's the difference. So, again, what a great uh, discussion we're having as well. Thank you, Julia. I'll uh, I'll see you on Tuesday, Matteo. It's good to see you this morning.
5: Hi, guys. Hi, everybody. Uh, well, I enjoy all that you say, Julia. Becky, I don't know what, I, what else I can say. Just say I. Probably about the understanding, I think it's very important, uh, a not so like experience, as the Buddha say, you know, like experience, then somebody, like also from hearing, you can understand and to read. So all of them are very important. They they work all together to to give you a boost and yeah. you know, understand Buddhist practice. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, John. It's
0: very inspiring. Thank you for joining us today, Matteo. Andrew, do you mind if I put you on camera, or would you rather I didn't? It's okay either way. I uh, uh, prefer not <laughs> I, 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 it's okay what would you like to say? was that it? no, please say something
4: <laughs> oh, well I've just been listening intently and uh, considering the fact that I'm not here on a regular basis it's wonderful to have it reinforced and uh, taken appropriate notes and this teaching, your teaching needs to be heard again so I will do it so that it really.
0: So. yeah. Thank you, Andrew. Anyway. And I hope you can join us more often. I know you got a lot going on. Though. Thank you for joining us. Dhamma, teacher Ram, how are you?
5: Uh, I'm good this morning. Um, I don't really have anything to add to it. Uh, I just, with what popped up, when you were talking about like how <clears throat> um, um, confusing it would be to teach uh, dependent origination to someone who just walked in, uh I remember a conversation that I had with Andrew um, years ago um mm-hmm. after um, a, a teaching on dependent origination and he was uh, completely confused <laughs> sorry, and uh, and I was a little bit less so um but um, <clears throat> yeah th- this is this is how it happens yeah. um, you you have to start somewhere and uh and, and a lot of times when when these Bit more complicated uh, teachings come in, in play. Uh, it takes a few times. It takes a few repetitions for for the, the meanings to start uh, start coming up.
0: Yeah. Thank you, my friend.
2: Laura, do mm-hmm. you can want you to be on camera? Yeah, sure. Everyone, um, uh, John, can you uh repeat the part about? Uh, maybe I should have asked it earlier when you were reading it, but the part about tranquility and the swift messengers, um, I was just trying to tie that together because, I mean, for the...
0: I just see what the... I,
2: I hear it all the time, you know, that you and the other teachers talk about this path as a limiting path, but for some reason this simile and this really clicked, like, today. Like, it really does bring, I don't know if this is what they were talking about when they mentioned, the Buddha mentioned tranquility, but when you do use the Eightfold Path, you know, as the framework and to orient your mind and keep it as a limiting, you know, that's a limiting path, it's a limiting factor. Mm -hmm. Like I used to think, oh, that was, that felt constraining for some reason. Know, or oh maybe I can still add some things here and there yeah. to it but now for the first maybe not the first time but I'm really starting to realize wow, it really it's so helpful like when you do keep it things limited to that your concentration really does get that much better yeah and when you start and more, use- and more useful and more useful and when I start you know, yeah. dropping away those other, oh, let me just add my own interpretation here, add some other aspect of religion or some other philosophy here. Yeah, but really it's starting to click more. <clears throat> and it like Ram said, yeah, it becomes more useful, practical, and it does bring more tranquility. Yeah. So.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah. Thank you, Laura. Yeah, and that, that's... That, uh, that sentence is tranquility and, uh, and mindfulness. So yeah. it's or another word for tranquility would be concentration, too. Yeah. So with both of those, those two things. Thank you. I'm well, a teacher, David. Hello,
4: John. Don't sleep on what John said about the gradual nature that you will be angry less and the irritation less it does gradually fall away because you you are replacing ignorance with wisdom. Yeah. And even though you're aware of that irritation, your wiser strength is something that's deepening and you don't have to have this anger that flares up throughout the rest of your life. Yeah. Saraputa is an example of that the buddha is an example of that our sangha is an example of that and being part of our sangha is that support so know that the path leads to calmness and gentleness and tranquility and that's you know that, that's just a natural outgrowth of sitting twice a day and come to class and being part of our saga, so
0: thank you, Joe. Thank you, David. Well said. Um, what happened here? Why is this on here? That's better. I don't know what was going on there. Um, all right, we'll finish with um, Meta as we always do. I want to say that Laura and I are going out to scout locations for our annual BBC <laughs> RMC picnic and. yeah Bodhi's coming with us Uh, it's up to him and it's also going to be we're going to have my surprise 40th birthday party will be that day too (laughs) the surprise is that it's 40 and not 67 I remember the last one All right, we'll finish with Metta take a moment to become mindful of your in breath and your out breath and let that mindfulness unite your mind and your body And these are the Buddha's words on Venna from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state, Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense-desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful Mm. class this morning. Peace, everyone. See you all soon. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. I'll see you Tuesday, Julia. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com Thank you Peace